0: Okay, Hello and good evening everybody. This is going to be a extremely quick shot-by-shot shot reaction uh, as I am watching these shots for the first time between Burnley and Man City which ended 2-0 to the Blues. And what I've noticed from the XG graph of this particular match is that Man City, you know, as usual, <laughs> dominate all the shots. Um, but instead of their usual domination with big chances all across the board, This time round, they have four big chances evenly spread across the beginning, the middle, and the end of the match. Now, this I find unusual because Man City aren't typically a team that dominates from start to finish in terms of XG. They largely take their time, and they don't necessarily take the lead through big chances per se, but when they do, they don't exactly create more big chances. So... This is really interesting because that makes Man City worthwhile as a team to invest in, FPL-wise. Now, what's also interesting to note is that Bernardo Silva, according to commentary, does not start. And he's not, yeah, he's basically started every single game since the opening game week of the season. So it'll be interesting to see what happens between the midfield dynamics of Gundogan, KDB, and Rodri without Bernardo Silva up-front pulling strings. So I would believe that there's heavy reliance on the midfield duo of KDB and Gondwan to carry the shooting threat. Now, I'm going to spend this 7.5 minutes looking at every single shot in open play. So I'm going to ignore all the shots that came off set pieces and corners and things like that. And here we go. So the first open play chance comes about when KDB scores his goal. And you can see here already, that a lot of Man City players are in between the Burnley lines. So, this causes Burnley to stay narrow and compact. So, in this particular case, the people that are open are people outside Burnley's compact banks of four, which are Cancelo, who receives it on the left, and then eventually the ball works all the way across to the other flank for Raheem Sterling. So, this is really a lesson for people who want to understand how Man City play against narrow and deep defences. A large part of it is basically working this narrow block from side to side. Now, you can see here that throughout this sequence, the Burnley defence are actually in good spaces. Like, they have good distances between the defence and the midfield. And a large part of it comes down to how quickly Man City move the ball. Like, when they have, when they take their time and they're not making plays, they take two touches, three touches, and Cancelo himself is the large instigator of this. But the moment they play that first penetrative pass across the entire Burnley backline, Raheem Sterling's pass is first time, Kevin De Bruyne's shot is first time, and they take the lead. Okay, so I'm going to fast forward now to eight minutes where... Rodri has a shot from outside the box, and it's largely the same, Burnley's midfield haven't exactly committed more men forward since it's only the 8th minute, and they take their time, but this theme seems common where City wants to play around the Burnley defense rather than through them, which I think it's practical. Now, what's also interesting to note is that Burnley themselves, because they're not committing men forward, they're basically choosing not to concede spaces between the lines, so Man City's midfielders in that sense you know, are electing not to play into Burnley's strengths. So a large part of chances here, such as Rodri's shot now, were created yeah, outside the box. Okay, so Rodri's shot basically comes around when Man City work the ball around the Burnley defense and they just work it around and around and same thing, ball goes down the right side, I think it's Walker or Sterling again that gets the ball beyond the Burnley bank line and the ball then basically bounces out to Rodri for his shot from away outside the box. So I'm going to forward to Gundogan's goal on the 25th minute. And it's the usual stuff. Man City have the ball outside the Burnley banks of four and they work it down the right side again where Sterling has the ball. So that 1-2 with Kevin De Bruyne is carbon copy, well not to say carbon copy as in the goal itself is carbon copy of how Kevin De Bruyne scored, but the penetrative passing here is the same. You play the ball around this narrow deep block and Kevin De Bruyne basically plays that one penetrative first time pass for Sterling, and once Sterling is beyond the back line, that's it. Um, it's just about who sits in that half space. Now, so far we've had two goals and both goals came in that very small space between centre-back and full-back, which is nice to see because this was a theme that Man City have kept to throughout the season. So if you can foresee any half-space operators for City, yeah, the wingers have the assist threat, but it's still investment in the half-space midfield operators that will give the most dividends. Okay, on to Sterling's big chance in the 41st minute. Okay, now this shot was big because it had an XG of 0.3, I believe. So we're gonna go see what happens there. And we associate Sterling with big chances missed quite often. So he's fitting into the stereotype here. And well lo and behold, this is like the first counter-attacking chance that Sterling receives. And this shot looks a lot more difficult than it is. It It is more difficult than it looks, because even though it's on the counter, even though it's brilliantly played by Phil Foden here, uh, what you notice is that the xg value initially is big because of the goalkeeper's aggressive positioning. And secondly, the ball comes over the top really really quickly and this forces Sterling into taking the shot first time. But still, the counter-attacking threat is real and yeah, it quantifies itself as a big chance. Okay, so I'm going to forward, fast forward now to Foden's big chance on 49 minutes and it's basically the same pattern of play but this time round it is Kevin De Bruyne that turns sister in the second half and yeah, this is where Gunnuan gets that chance ok whereas the Odin chance, just moments earlier came via that same flank play And this time, it's Grealish that drives the ball into the box for Foden's shot. Now, again, this is a very similar pattern of play, so I think I don't have to say much more on Man City's pattern of play. So, against a deep block, if you see Man City play against defenses coming up, you can see according to Lego Mane's chart, Man City are likely going to play Against the likes of Everton, Norwich Oh sorry, Liverpool, Brighton, Watford, Leeds, Newcastle. Now among all these defenses is, is among all these defenses, it's likely that Watford and Newcastle are the ones that will behave similarly to Burnley. So thirty-four, thirty-six is a very very good entry point for Kevin De Bruyne, Ilkay one, maybe Raheem Sterling. For Brighton, not so much. So we'll see what happens after game week 32 because Liverpool are very, very similar to Brighton. Right, and on to Brentford 4, Chelsea 1. I say this in this particular way because this speaks of Brentford's attack more than Chelsea's defence. So this is typically what happens when you play when you do not play Jorginho in your starting midfield and instead rely on Golo Kante and Ruben Loftus-Cheek for midfield control. The result? Yeah, Brentford actually having decent spells of possession. Like, spells of possession. So, they had a good flurry of chances in the first half, including Ivan Tony's header. My goodness, that was a good header. But, um, it just comes from the fact that Chelsea do not have any means of winning the ball back here. And... Brentford basically utilised the very renewed presence of Yannelt here in attack. So, um, a little bit of context is needed because Brentford do have lofty plans to stay in the Premier League and doing well. So, <clears throat> while they have historically relied on their front three of Mbomo and Tony and even Saeed Rama to get promoted to the Premier League, now they're investing in number 10. So, they've invested in Jensen, and now Janelt's actually stepping up as a, Conager, a Conor Gallagher type player that makes deep runs from midfield. So what's really, really nice to see here is that, number one, like, Janel's presence wasn't really felt in the first half because majority of their chances came from the wing. But as Chelsea wrestled control back and they decided to play ball in the second half, they really sparked into life after Rudiger's rocket shot distance. So what's nice to see here and what's important to understand here is that based on their chances alone you can see that number one Ivan Tony is still the guy that is targeted in attack but more importantly the runners now are not Mbomo alone. So you get <clears throat> Wisa now on the right flank I believe that has runs from the flank and Yonel is like taking up the number 10 role that Matthias Jensen was supposed to take up in the sense that he relies on his two forwards' triggers to get into good positions. Now, <clears throat> I say this as someone who has watched a decent number of Brentford games where the right side traditionally have played very well, but their left side of midfield has always had problems functioning because Jensen has been underwhelming. Now, by having Janelt there, as a more a less creative but more direct option, his role is kind of like what Scott McTominay does for Man United, where he offers the short pass and he offers a very quick first time pass so that he can bring other players into play. So a typical example, especially in the chaos of the second half, where Brentford went three one up, um, was that the ball goes and targets the front two. Right? Tony may or may not win the ball but Mbomo is really good here at picking up scraps but usually when Tony and Mbomo play in isolation up front as a front two Mbomo doesn't get chances and so what happens here is that Yanel uses this trigger to run beyond Tony so the sequence of play goes like this ball goes to Tony ball drops for Mbomo and the moment the ball touches Tony's head Yanel is the one that chooses his spot so, for the first goal, what you can see is, especially Yanel's first goal, sorry, was that um, when Tony has his aerial duo and Mbomo picks up the scraps, Yanel is already in line with the Chelsea centre-back, and that's how he gets his first goal. And the second one was even nicer because after Mbomo and Tony link up in cent- at centre-forward, um, you can see Yanel make that third man run behind that Chelsea defense. So, if you can foresee Brentford upsetting a few sides in the next few fixtures that involve West Ham and Spurs and Man United, yeah, Yanel's like you know, especially if you're on a free hit or something, then Yanel is definitely worth consideration uh, because of his price point. Now, <clears throat> um, in terms of Chelsea's response. So what's interesting to see here is that Kovacic was, Kovacic's introduction was delayed until the 64th minute. And what happens is that when you introduce Kovacic without Jorginho, you don't have as much control still, but at least Kovacic has he offers a direct link between defense and attack. And his role in this particular match was to create decoy runs that freed up space for his wingers because majority of Chelsea's chances in the second half came from midfield play followed by a cross from left back or right back for a for Kai Havertz to finish. Now um this isn't to say that this is going to be a consistent pattern, but it's more a highlight of Matteo Kovacic's role in the side. Because his his runs here were not utilized because there was nobody to pass to Kovacic. But When you see Jorginho and Kovacic playing in the same side, perhaps when Chelsea get eliminated by Real Madrid, right? Which is very highly likely at this stage. Um, When you see a Jorginho-Kovacic duo in midfield, it looks really good, especially for Kovacic. Now, um, in FPL, this is significant because Chelsea do have a double-double, I believe, in 36 and 37 when things get really hectic. Now... The game against Man United and Leicester in particular favors Kovacic type runs where it's exactly the way Yanel does it, right? You start from midfield, you play a short pass, and you just sprint into that half space just beyond the centre back and you know, to see if you get the ball back. So yeah. Uh for this purpose, Mateo Kovacic is definitely worth a consideration for the double game week that happens in 36. Okay, so this has been a brief shot by shot reaction slash analysis of the two games so far. Hopefully we, I can produce more before the deadline itself. Have a good weekend guys.